Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Coger Center Arts Roundup. This week, our special guests are Mackenzie Collier, the Publicity and Strategic Partnership Director, and Aurora Bell, the Acquisitions Editor for the University of South Carolina Press. Right here on the as a part of the University of South Carolina, thank you both for joining me. Hi, Nate. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. So the Coger Center is a part of the University of South Carolina, and as is the press. And uh, I didn't realize the press was so uh, old and historic and prestigious. So can you can we start by just talking about what the University Press is, how it got started? Um, and then we can sort of rapid fire move through to where we are today, because I've got lots of questions about why people are even still publishing books in the modern <laughs> era uh, that I'm sure you hear all the time. But for the mo for, to start with, uh, the press started in 1944. Is that right? That's right. We celebrated 75 years last year. We have about 1,300 books in print. Um, that's print and digital formats, of course. We publish about 50 new books per year, and those are a mix of academic and scholarly titles, which are really geared toward researchers, other scholars, and classrooms, but also trade books, which are for a general audience. And those are the ones we're going to talk about today, because those are the fun books about Southern history, African-American studies, arts, civil rights, and South Carolina. Um, how did it get started? Did the university specifically decide uh, we need to have a press, uh, or did someone have a book to publish, and, and that's how it got started? That is a really good question, and in our 75 years, we tried to do a little bit of research into this. Um, it appears Here's that in the basement of one of the buildings on Green Street, somebody had a printing press and a group of three professors started printing books. And I regret that my knowledge about what those books are um, ends here. So it, it got an informal start, but yes. um, oh, over the 75 years, it, it's grown to be one of the I read somewhere here, the most distinguished publishing houses in the South. Yeah. Um, it, it, did the universities take it over and sort of brand it University Press at some point? Is that, do you know how that history went? Another good question. It's pretty typical that university presses are the University of X Press. You may remember Story River Books, for example, which was an imprint of the University of South Carolina Press that published fiction books. So sometimes you come up with a new name to sort of set aside a different identity, but I think University of X Press is pretty typical in our world. Um, the press uh, has moved off campus, is that right? So at one point in time, fairly recently, um, is that typical of this business to sort of consolidate your, um, I, I'm assuming that the number of places that actually print are dwindling. So um, did we, how long did we print on campus before we sort of moved the printing and warehousing of books off campus? We've been printing off campus for a very long time now, but you're right. We used to warehouse books um, on campus-ish over near the Thirsty Fellow. We had a warehouse um, where books were shipped across the country and where customers could come buy books just off the shelves. We moved that operation to Pennsylvania 
two years ago now. So books continue to be printed in different sites across the US. Most of our art books are actually printed overseas. And now we're distributed mainly out of this warehouse in Pennsylvania. Our offices are on campus-ish. We are over at Hanson and Pickens Street with HR, where I bet you all came for orientation. Yes. Um, I have a couple just general concepts about the publishing business. Um, is the publishing business still going strong? Are people still publishing and, and are books still being sold and, you know, hard hardcover books, paperback books is like the actual physical book you can touch still, um, still a thing that's going strong or are we continuing to see a decline with the rise of the internet? Still going strong. Um, there was a period about 10 years ago where everyone was 100% convinced that ebooks were going to completely take over and that was 100% the way of the world. That's proven not to be true. Um, at the University of South Carolina Press, we sell considerably more print books than we do ebooks. Both Aurora and I worked in New York publishing, where the numbers are slightly more balanced, print versus ebook. Um, I was at Simon & Schuster, and we were, at a time, selling 75% book, 20, I'm sorry, 75% print, 25% e, that number fluctuated slightly. But overall, when you look at the industry, um, print continues to sell very well. In COVID times, we saw a real surge in ebooks for pretty obvious reasons, very easily and readily available. Um, we welcome ebook sales, print sales. We like book sales of any kind. But the overall answer here is yes, the industry continues to be um, healthy, happy, and we're going strong. Do all books uh, get published as both ebooks and uh, hard copy, you know, physical books, or is there a specific reason why a book does or does not choose to uh, publish both ways? Um, these days, in most cases, the books do publish simultaneously in either hardcover or paperback and ebook, or sometimes even all three at the same time. Um, but there are certain cases where we won't publish an ebook, sometimes um, due to permissions. So that may be because it's a book um, dealing with historic art pieces and it's either impossible or cost prohibitive to get the ebook permission for some of those images. Sometimes the same can be said for text um, permissions. So sometimes there are permissions issues that make it um, more difficult to do an ebook. We also see cases sometimes where if it's a more visual book, the content itself doesn't lend itself very well to an ebook. Um, if you're you know, reading on an iPad, maybe it looks great, but if you're still on a black and white Kindle style reader, then some of the art books are just not going to look good and not going to work. Um, or books that are more complicated and don't lend themselves well to sort of that small screen format. The University Press, does it have a particular mission in terms of uh, style, content of book? Uh, you, you talked about the two basic ideas of uh, books for more academic books versus books for, for more of the general public, but um, is there a particular mission with the South Carolina Press, University Press? Yeah, absolutely. So our our mission is to tell stories on the on the trade side to tell stories of the South from 
a diverse range of voices on diverse topics, um, the South generally and South Carolina in particular. Um, on the more academic side, it's still about telling these stories and in all cases about delivering the most rigorous and high quality version of whatever that is, whether it's a scholarly book about history or a cookbook. Are you all going out and finding the works or are people soliciting you to publish or are, are they um, professors on campus that are providing the content for the publishing? How do you all, I, I realize this is probably different than say what's going on at Simon & Schuster, but how, do, how does the university press find its content and decide what to publish? It's a balance of those things. Um, people email us most days of the week saying, I have a project, might it be a good fit for you? So we get a lot of books that way. We also get a lot of books by reading local and regional news, following people who are talking about interesting things on Twitter, reaching out and saying, hey, I heard about what you're working on. Are you working on a book or would you be interested in discussing a book? So those are sort of both ways that it happens. Um, for the academic books, conferences are also incredibly important, which has changed a lot during COVID times. Uh, we've all had you know, these big academic conferences that we were supposed to attend this spring. And at those meetings, you meet people from all over the country who are working on all kinds of different projects. And unfortunately, it, you know, it hasn't been safe to do that this year. So we're finding some more creative ways to make those connections online. Uh, who decides whether something's really worth publishing and, and how do you make the distinction? Um, do, are you sort of weighing, um, commercial success of the book, like your your thoughts on its ability to sell, or is it really about the worthiness of the manuscript, or is it both? All of the above, for sure. Um, we, it, it probably, I would say, where the point that we start from depends on whether it's a book for a general audience or for a scholarly audience. If the book is for a scholarly audience, the first thing is going to be the quality of the scholarship, what new scholarship it brings to the conversation in the particular field. And so we do a first round of review ourselves and I or the other acquisitions editor will say, this sounds interesting. It seems like no one's done this before. And then we bring in outside peer reviewers. So that'll be two experts in that field that we send the manuscript to and solicit their feedback to really make sure that everything that we're considering for publication is at that very, very high quality. So we do that for every book that we publish. But I would say on the academic side, it starts from that question of academic and scholarly quality. And on the trade side, it does start from a question of sales. Is this something that we think a lot of people in South Carolina and outside of South Carolina are interested in? If yes, then we sort of proceed to that, does it stand up on the quality side? question. How, how do you find the people that uh, help you? Are, are they associated with the university or do you go outside the university to find additional readers to solicit their feedback? Both. Um, <laughs> in some cases, the experts that we're looking for are people who are on this campus and we have great relationships with a lot of faculty here and work with them very closely. 
Um, but in other cases, we do go to scholars elsewhere in South Carolina or elsewhere in the country, even sometimes outside of the United States. So um, you, you have got a lot of interesting stuff coming out this year. I mean, and 50 books a year is a huge number. Um, what do you want to talk about? Uh, I'll let you steer this a little bit. Um, what are you excited about and what should people know that's coming out soon? You know, new, uh, new titles to look for. So one book that we have publishing in either end of August or early September um, is a new old book called The Doctor to the Dead. This is a book that was published in the 1940s and the press reissued it in 1995. And it's a really interesting case of us having conversations with the wonderful independent booksellers here in South Carolina, because for a book like that, that was published for, that we first published in 95, we don't necessarily know it on a personal level, but these booksellers have people coming in and saying, I went on a ghost tour in Charleston. What is the scariest South Carolina book you can sell me? And this is the book they sell. And so hearing that from them, we said, okay, what's been going on with this book for the 25 years since we published it? And we took a look and realized that there was an opportunity to republish with a fresh cover and also to provide a little bit more context for the stories. So these really incredible stories are ghost tales that were told by Gullah Charlestonians at the beginning of the 20th century. And we worked with um, College of Charleston professor Julia Eichelberger on a new foreword that puts that into context and really explains the world of Charleston at the turn of the century that um, these stories come from. And so that's one where it's been out in the world for a long time, but we're really excited to give it new life this year. So that's, the, that's an example of uh, a pre-existing book. Were, was the University Press the first people to publish it? We weren't. Um, so it was actually published, I believe, by Holt in New York um, in the 1940s. And the press then, um, it had gone out, of, gone out of print. The author um, lived in Charleston and his family wanted to bring it back into print. And so they approached the University of South Carolina Press back in the 1970s. Uh, what's, what's, do you have any other examples of, uh, you know, new editions of classic bestsellers that you can, that you have coming out? Um, so on the slightly more, um, academic side, one that I think is interesting that we have coming this fall is a book called Understanding David Foster Wallace. So we published this 20 years ago when everyone in the literary world knew that David Foster Wallace was a big deal. But 20 years ago, you couldn't know the degree to which he shaped the next 20 years of American fiction and literature more generally. So we're really excited to bring out a second edition of that, which has been fully revised and expanded, now includes all of his novels and short stories, and a little bit more of that context of what his work meant during the rest of the, I guess, 21st century up to now. And this sort of understanding a particular uh, person is a whole series, is that right, that the press does? You've got, uh, as I'm looking at the book of you know what's coming out, I see there's a number of understanding 
a certain author or playwright. Uh, is that um, something that was created by the press knowing that we would do a series? Yes, yeah, it was created by the press about 30 years ago by Matthew Bruckley, who was a professor at, or at uh, University of South Carolina in the English department. He was one of the great scholars of modernism, of Fitzgerald and that generation of writers. And he created this series wanting to help um, students and others unpack the literature of sort of contemporary America and then actually expanded that into series that cover um, other geographies as well. So it has been going strong for for about 30 years, maybe even longer. And we've done, I don't know what the number is, more than 100 for sure, and bring out new ones every year. Um, you, you publish a lot of South Carolina um, books uh, about South Carolina, but also South Carolina authors have books about South Carolina visual artists. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about um, South have the specific uh, books or genres of books that tie to the state? Yes, uh, thank you for that opportunity. We thought your audience would be especially excited to hear about some of the South Carolina visual artist books. Um, in the last year, we published a book called A View from the South, and this is about Boyd Saunders, who taught printmaking at the University of South Carolina for a very long time. Boyd Saunders was a printmaker. He was a painter, a sculptor, an illustrator, an author. He was a Faulkner scholar, and a lot of his art was inspired by the research and the work he did with William Faulkner. Um, that book is really about Boyd Saunders' love of the people and places, the places of the American South. Um, we also published a book about Mary Edna Fraser. I bet a lot of you will be familiar with her work. She is a batik artist. Batik is a style that uses fabric, dye, and wax. And her books, book is part history of the style, part how-to, but also really showcases Mary Edna Fraser's love of the world and the environment. It has a conservation message. She's based in Charleston, and this book is really embraceive um, of her connection to the world and especially South Carolina. Um, I bet a lot of your listeners also know Mary White, internationally acclaimed watercolor artist. Um, she has published many books with us. Last year, we published We the People, Portraits of Veterans in America. These were watercolor portraits of a veteran from each of the 50 states, every branch of the military, every walk of life. The exhibition was up in Charleston last fall. It will be moving to Columbus, Ohio this September. Um, Mary White is also really well known for painting the women of Johns Island, South Carolina, which is a Gullah community. Um, Mary worked for 20 years with those women, with those women, and that book down Bohicket Road is really beautiful. Um, Jonathan Green, another super well-known name. I know everyone knows the book Gullah Images, just gorgeous, vibrant descriptions of the Gullah culture. He's also illustrated a children's book called The Freedom Ship of Robert Smalls, and this is a great example of having Jonathan, a visual artist, um, tell the story of Robert Smalls, who was um, a South Carolina figure and uh, who has been understudied. That book is actually going to be part of the ETV new reading series. Inez Tenenbaum will be reading that book to kids coming up soon. 
be happy to share that link with you all. Um, and finally, last year we published a new edition of a book called A True Likeness. This was the photography of Richard Samuel Roberts, who was a black photographer who worked in Columbia from 1920 to 1935. He was one of only a handful of black um, commercial photographers working in the Deep South during that time. And these photos are just beautiful. They reveal the social, economic, and cultural realities of the Black South during that time. The people depicted in those pictures are teachers, preachers, undertakers, carpenters, brick masons. The book has 200 photos and they were pulled out of the basement of Richard Samuel Roberts' home, which is right here in Arsenal Hall um, in Columbia. And our new edition features a forward from Elaine Nichols, who your listeners will probably also know. She was at the State Museum for a long time, and now she is a curator at the African-American Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. So the exciting thing to me about the University Press is that there's a wide variety of books. So you, you don't just publish uh, fiction, and it's not just uh, academic stuff. Um, so in addition to works of art. You've also got some upcoming books about coming out about food. Is that right? So it, you really hit a lot of different genres for the book lover out there. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, some of those books? And, and really, you know, if there's anything else that um, really piques your interest, we'd love to hear uh, some exciting things to look forward to. Sure. In the food category, we have a book uh, coming out next spring from chef Kevin Mitchell, who is a chef and culinary historian who focuses on the role of black chefs in American cuisine, um, especially Southern cuisine and Charleston cuisine, and Professor David Shields from University of South Carolina, who has been integral to the movement to revive heirloom crops here in South Carolina, so the Carolina gold rice and other, other crops like that. This book is going to include more than 80 stories of the foods and dishes that make cuisine in South Carolina unique. And working on this book, I have learned so much. Anytime that I go to dinner with people now, I'm telling them, you know, about what's special about the collard greens on their plate, that these are Bradford collards, that it's the same people as the watermelons. And it's uh, there's a lot of really exciting stuff in there. And the way that it's told, you can sort of dip in and out and pick up the different stories and read what interests you. And, you know, you might find that all 80 plus um, entries are of interest, but it lets you dive in wherever you're most excited to learn. So as an editor, I imagine some of your job is to make sure things like grammar is correct and things are spelled correctly. Is that true? but it's also how, how much of it are you trying to shape the content of the book? So if somebody pitches you a story about uh, a book on food or, or uh, it's a book of artwork, um, how much do you uh, like literally edit their text or shape what goes into the book and what doesn't come out of the, you know, what makes it into the book and what gets left out? It um, varies on a case-by-case -case basis, but there is, um, there's a lot of the sort of what we call developmental editing involved, which is looking with the author at their proposal or at their manuscript and saying, okay, is this telling the story the way that you want it to be told, the way that it will be best received and best represent itself, and what can we do to improve that and strengthen it? 
Luckily, there are other people on our team who make sure everything is spelled right. <laughs> I often, when I'm in one of these manuscripts, I can't help myself if I see a comma out of place. I want to fix it. Um, but my time is typically better spent on making the connections with these authors and potential authors and talking through the more big picture issues. And then once something is contracted, we think it's final, then we send it on to our production editor who works with a great team of freelance copy editors to make sure that everything is truly spelled correctly. All of those Oxford commas are where they need to be um, and that everything is really ready for the printer. In, in 60 seconds or less, can you explain to us what the Oxford comma is and ah. why it's so controversial? Well, I don't know if I can tell you why it's controversial because I'm such a big supporter of it that I'm not sure I can make the other argument. But the Oxford comma is also called a serial comma. So in a list, it's the comma that comes before the and, before the last term. And there, I guess the argument against it, I believe was a newspaper trend that you want to save space and save ink. So if you can take out that comma, you take it out. In books, we've got 400 pages, we've got enough room to have all the commas, and so we rather have them in there. Um, there are many, many very funny examples of cases where that comma is left out and suddenly the meaning becomes quite confused, as well as legal cases where, you know, people are splitting their inheritance in a way that some argue would not be fair because of how those commas are read. Um, with the large number of uh, styles of books. Uh, I, Mackenzie, I guess this is more of a you question, right? Because you uh, have to be able to market, sell the books, um, and you have to go after a lot of different audiences because you're not just doing books on food, you're not just doing books on art, you're not just doing fiction, you're not just doing academic work. You, you as a press, have to be able to move, market, uh, sell all of these different books. Do you have a a team of people that specialize in different style of books or do you have or at least the uh, trade books versus the academic books um is there can you talk about the sort of special nature of marketing the university press with all of these different kinds of titles that's a really good question um i would say that for our academic and scholarly books we um there's sort of a clear way to market and promote and sell those books. We're selling to professors, um, we are sending to researchers, and we're selling to libraries. Um, the amount of attention those books get from me as a marketing and publicity person is still significant because we want to treat every book with the attention it deserves. But the bulk of my time does go into the trade books, and that's because we're doing events for local authors, and we're working really closely with bookstores in South Carolina. I think something that we do really well here at the press is listen and communicate with our local bookstores across South Carolina with great frequency. So we know what their customers are saying, what they're wanting, we can meet their demands, we can reprint books like uh, Doctor to the Dead based on feedback from bookstores where they're telling us people want and need this book. Um, so I think that we really um, are able to keep a finger on the pulse through those relationships with South Carolina bookstores in particular. You sell online, so if you can you go to the website and order books that way? 
You absolutely can. We sell books on our website. Our books are distributed to all national retailers, so you can buy um, at all the other big online stores. I will skip the A word and encourage everyone to shop at bookshop.org, which is the independent alternative to the big A. Um, and is there a university press outpost on campus? So if you wanted to go and browse the university press titles that are in print and available, can you do that here on campus or do you have to go to you know, a local bookseller to see those titles? We don't have a physical presence where you can view all our books like in our office. Most of our books are at the Canvas Bookstore in the Russell House. Um, we're also so thrilled to have Oddbird books here on Main Street. Then we'll have our trade books, not the scholarly books. Um, but you can find everything for general readers there at Oddbird. Um, you've also got, in addition to, uh, we've talked about the some books uh, about artists, food. Um, there's some South Carolina musician books that are out there. I, I, of course, as we got ready to talk, uh, was looking through the um, guide of upcoming books and, of course, picked something that was, you know, had been out for quite some time. I was interested in the jazz and blues musicians of South Carolina. Um, but uh, that sort of piqued my interest in books specifically about South Carolina musicians. Can you talk about anything you've got coming out soon? Uh, in that sort of genre? Absolutely. Um, so we're glad that you saw the the Jazz Musicians book, and we encourage anyone who's interested in jazz in South Carolina to check that one out. Um, but new books coming up, we have one called Live from Jackson Station that is coming um, in early 2021. Um, that book looks at this sort of dive bar music venue and the really, really crazy stories around it. So that's gonna be a really fun narrative nonfiction book that anyone who's interested in South Carolina stories of the last 40 years or so should definitely check out. Music and true crime. Just a little teaser for the listeners. <laughs> All right. Um, and after that one, later in 2021, we are thrilled to have a book on University of South Carolina's own Hootie and the Blowfish that has, um, the book is by Tim Summer, who was the um, A&R guy who discovered them when they got their major record deal in the 90s. And he um, has a great relationship with the band still. So he has really fabulous access and has interviewed each of the members multiple times as well as other people who were involved in their story as they came up and now again, as they've sort of reunited. Um, so that's something that we're very much looking forward to next spring. We touched on this briefly before you said that people will obviously submit things to you, but you're also going out and looking for uh, books, be they uh, old titles that are out of print that uh, people are looking for and want to see back in print, um, wh what are you looking for for, you know, the future? Um, is there sort of like a five-year plan? Do you, you, do you plan out, you know, we, we need books about artists, we need books about musicians, we need, or, or do you just sort of stumble across the best possible work um, and put that out in the order you find it? 
I'd say it's a bit of a combination of those things. We have a sense of how our list should break down between academic books and books for a general audience, and then across categories that we want to see a certain amount of Southern history, a certain amount of African-American history, of civil rights, um, and then also of nature, of food, of art, all of these different categories. Um, so there's not sort of a hard and fast rule and slices of pie that we're trying to slot books into, but as we seek out books, we're sort of thinking about those things. Um, is there any other book that, do you have a favorite, something from the press? I know it's that sort of like picking between your children maybe, but do you have like a favorite title that speaks to you personally that you'd like to tell people to keep their eyes open for? Well, I'm gonna plug an upcoming book. This fall, we're publishing a book called Stories of Struggle by journalist Claudia Smith-Brinson. Um, I bet a lot of your listeners, listeners will remember Claudia from her time at the state newspaper. This is a book about the long struggle for civil rights in South Carolina. These are Claudia interviewed grandchildren of some civil rights leaders. She interviewed civil rights leaders. She researched this book for 20 years. And these are stories about South Carolinians who are on the front lines of change. Um, I think this is a really important story for South Carolinians. I think a lot of people do not know these stories. They do not know these people. Um, this is, a, I think, a really good reflection of what we want to do here at the press, which is tell stories about South Carolinians and, and teach and inspire as well. And it just so happens that it's ready to come out now. So yes. It's even more timely. Yes, we're very pleased that our fall list has a lot of books about the struggle for civil rights in the South and in South Carolina in particular. It's a good time um, to look to history for, for what's going on in the current movement. And I would like to make a plug for we want to do more of that. Um, we're really looking for own voices we're looking to tell uh, a new and different side of South Carolina history. Um, you, you both have a, a background in publishing outside of the university setting. So how, how was it that you got, uh, found your way here to the University of South Carolina Press? So my uh, husband moved to South Carolina and I had only ever worked in book publishing. So I did not have a ton of options. So the Second week I got here, I immediately started lobbying for a job here. <laughs> oh, I'm glad it worked out. Same. <laughs> I went a little bit of the opposite way in that I had also been working in book publishing in New York, but I was ready to leave New York and started thinking about what a career in publishing would look like outside of that world and got really interested in university press publishing um, because I, I did want to sort of go back to my literary studies roots from my undergraduate degree and do some of the, the quote unquote serious academic things that did appeal to me. Uh, but I was also really impressed by the regional books that I saw coming out of university presses, books that sometimes in New York you can't publish because you might say, well, we can't sell 15,000 copies of this, so it doesn't make sense for us. But those books are books that are still really important and that should be published. And so having the opportunity to do that um, felt really special and important to me. And so as I was on that journey of exploration, um, this position at South Carolina opened up and turned out to be a great fit. 
Um, and then to, to go back to your previous question about books that we have coming out, um, one that is sort of just on the cusp of the academic and trade-oriented world is a book that we have called Harry Potter and Beyond. So it is a scholarly analysis of Harry Potter books and the rest of J.K. Rowling's fiction um, that will be available in about a week, I think. I think yeah. it's on sale next Tuesday-ish. Um, so that's a really fun project for anyone who either grew up in the era of Harry Potter or read Harry Potter to their children. If you wanna go a little deeper on it, um, this is the book for you. It, you know, with J.K. Rowling in the news now for some of some of the comments that she has made. Um, it's an interesting time to take a new look at her work and see that sort of scholarly side of it. Well, it's such a hidden gem to have the University Press on campus. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, this is the Cover Center Arts Roundup podcast. We've been talking to Mackenzie Collier, the Publicity and Strategic Partnership Director, and Aurora Bell, the Acquisitions Editor at the University of South Carolina Press. I really appreciate your time. Thank you both for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. USCpress.com. USCpress.com. The Coker Center Arts Roundup is produced in part by Garnet Media Group, the student media partnership at the University of South Carolina. Information about tickets and upcoming events can be found at CogerCenterForTheArts.com, the official website for Coger Center tickets. For more information about Garnet Media Group, visit GarnetMedia.org.